All right, be turning to Ephesians 3. We'll be in verses 1 through 6 this morning. <clears throat> as we continue our journey through the book of Ephesians, we'll be seeing Paul's uh, calling as a purposeful prisoner and uh, thinking through how that, how that uh, speaks in some ways to us, even though we are not uh, currently imprisoned, even though you may feel like, hey, if it's going to be two and a half hours, this kind of feels like I'm being held hostage. I was joking, I, I promise. Uh, and so what we, uh, what we want to see this morning from this passage is that God sovereignly places us in various circumstances to grant us unique opportunities to share the gospel and be in awe of the mystery of redemption in Christ. And so the question that we need to think about straight away are, are what are the ways in which our circumstances or your circumstances are affecting how you live and what you share with others? I've been through this, we've all been through this, where you, you, you say something like this, well, if I can just get through this, then I'll do that. And usually, the this is something that's, that's difficult or tough or uh, busy or burdensome, and the that is often the supposed good things that we're going to get to at some point in time. Now, for anybody over the age of 25... When does that day come? It is still slouching toward Bethlehem, right? For us all. There's never a good time. There's never a not busy time. There's never a time that is truly going to be adequate that we finally say, all right, now, now I am free from burden to be obedient to God. Actually, that day is coming. What day is it? It's the return of Christ. Yes, at long last, we will be unburdened in full from the power of sin in this world. Amen. And we will be able to, in spirit and truth, with the fullness of vision and hearing worship at long last, we'll all be on key. It'll be amazing. We'll know the words. We won't even have to look at the screens. It'll just be in our hearts, written there from long ago. But between the now and the not yet... That day won't come because there will always be a reason why our circumstances keep us from sharing the good news. Now, later in the book of Ephesians, we're going to discover that the war truly is spiritual. And that there is, there is principalities and powers at work in all of this. And we're going to see a glimpse of this here this morning that, that, that do work against us doing anything that's good. So that's why it becomes an act of true resistance and rebellion on our part, in the best sense of those words, to share the gospel in the circumstances that we're in. Now, I don't have enough time this morning to go through all the different ways by which you can do that, but let me at least say this. It is not only that you say to the next person you meet, hey, if you died today, which is kind of a creepy way to start a conversation if you think about it, uh, but, but if that's your style, that's your style, uh, but it's not mine, and probably not most of yours. Certainly no introvert in this room starts with that, and if you do, you're dancing with two left feet. It's just not good. It's not going to come out right, but there are ways in which we are to share the gospel that include not only our words, but also our deeds, but at some point, you've got to get to the words, Right? Nobody can just guess from your willingness to buy them lunch that Jesus died for their sins. It's a good thing that you show generosity and faithfulness, uh, but uh, it is important that you recognize at some point you've got to share the story. And, and really, some of the best way you can share the story is to just share your life. If you are a Christian, God is at work in and through you. There are things that are, are worth you sharing via relationship with the people around you that afford you the ability to talk about the gospel in the most winsome and tangible way possible. Now, given the fall that's at work in them, is it a technique that is going to change someone's heart? No. No, I, I've quoted the great theologian Kimberly Barham for you too many times for you to think that I think that's true. At the end of the day, we don't care. You can hit me with all the truth you want. You can, you can hand me all the proof. And yet, we are, that is the power of the rebellion at work in us. We actually have too low a view of sin at times. And so, we need to be considering, are we, allow, are we robbing ourselves of a way in which we can see God at work, God answering prayer, God 
uh, more, more blessed and mighty and faithful than we could ever imagine because we are allowing our circumstance to keep us from participating in the kingdom to which he has called us. So that's going to hang in the air for us as we go through this portion of the passage, and, and then uh, Robbie will, will handle the next portion next Sunday. But if you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, and let's, let's begin to hear Paul as he tells some of his story, but doesn't care enough to say much about himself that he can't stop returning to Christ. This is Ephesians 3, 1 through 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Now let me pause there for just a second. If any of you are English students, if you look long and hard at that sentence, there's something really wrong with it. The verb is actually missing that for this reason would be tied to. Well, here's the thing. He actually picks that back up in verse 14 when he begins his intercessory prayer. So what's happened here is Paul, in, and again, you got to remember, he's human. He's not writing literature. It is the power of the Spirit at work in him, but there's times where, and we've seen this already in Ephesians, he becomes effusive about the grace and the goodness of God. And this is one of those times. As he's about to enter into intercession for them, he can't help but say, but, but let, me, let me talk about how God's grace and peace have, have been a part of my life. And so the, for this reason, which we'll come back to in two weeks, the reason it's there is what you heard last week from Dave Lindbergh, which is that they are being formed together into this temple of the, the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of God. And so it's going to be for that reason that he utters the wonderful prayer that spans 14 through 21, and we'll get to that later. But laying that aside, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Now, it's very important that you understand what he's doing and saying there. And what he's doing and saying is that Rome did not put me here. My circumstance was not dictated by Caesar or the governor or, or Rome itself or even the principalities and powers at work in this world. Satan didn't put me here. Christ placed me here in prison. Now, if you were to read some of the other prison epistle letters, you'd hear the wonderful testimony, I, I believe it's in Philippians, where the praetorian guard that is kind of tied to Paul to try to make sure he doesn't disappear like he did in the book of Acts, uh, where the Philippian jailer becomes a Christian. Oh, by the way, remember that. Every time Paul's been in jail, people have converted. And so the praetorian guard comes to Christ uh, uh, through Paul's witnessing testimony, Paul's still sending out these letters encouraging the church, investing in the people of God. And so his circumstances, and we could, we could say, well, wouldn't Paul have been a better instrument in the hands of the Redeemer if he was free? Well, the answer has to be no, ultimately, because God is sovereign and he chose not to do that, and he knows better than we do. But it's not, it wouldn't be beyond the pale of reason for us to wrestle with that, right? To go, yeah, but I don't know. But there was something about his imprisonment that was, that was additive or actually helped to, to lift the gospel higher, to raise Christ more exalted. And you got to remember, this isn't, he wasn't guilty of a white-collar crime, and this is not uh, some nice suburb in Washington, this is Rome. And prisoners were not treated really well, although it seems to be that he had some measure of favor because folks could come and visit with him and bring him things. So it wasn't completely terrible, but it wasn't as nice as Joseph's circumstance in the Old Testament. He didn't have that kind of favor. And so here Paul is saying that my circumstance is, is dictated by the cause and the person and work of Christ. I will blame no other. And notice that he's not exactly upset by that. Now, I'm not saying he didn't wrestle with it. Remember, he still is human. But what he concludes is that ultimately, in the sovereignty of God, he's where he needs to be. I heard Mo Leverett say one time. Mo was, uh, did a ministry in the Ninth Ward in, in, in um, New Orleans. And, of course, Katrina wiped it all out. And, and life has been difficult since then. 
But I heard him say that the safest place you can be is God's will. I believe that's true. And so often, we're not gonna, we think God's will always matches with our safety and security as we understand it. Our, our blessedness as we understand it. And so the biblical understanding of blessed, which means to be in the presence of the Lord. And so uh, Paul is essentially saying that here, that this, the best place for me to be is in God's presence, which at this time for me happens to be in jail. So I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, for purpose, on behalf of you Gentiles. So this would it'd be a wrong reading of this to say uh, that he's angry saying, this is y'all's fault. I wouldn't be here if y'all weren't a bunch of pagans and goofballs. No, what he's saying is, I recognize there is purpose in my circumstance, that God wastes no suffering. We've talked about that quite a bit here, and that is very difficult uh, again, I can't help but think about uh, Nick Weaver, who will now go, go forward at this event being memorialized, uh, traumatic event memorialized in a prosthetic, um, and how the family will, will handle that and think that through and how it affected uh, so many things and will affect so many things going forward. Um, and so, uh, and God has been so at work already in that it's, it's been beautiful. For those of you who have not kept up, I think, in our weekly update, we do have the link to the Caring Bridge where you can keep up with the journal entries. Uh, I think uh, Jim has, his dad has done some, Kate has done some. And so I would encourage you to, to go there and just see what God's doing in the life of, of, in the circumstance that is, I don't know how to explain it. It really is mysterious, but we'll get to the mystery part here in a minute. So Paul says that my imprisonment is for your sake. And then he says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So he's saying that that, in you, that term stewardship is very important. He is saying that God has entrusted this suffering to me. God has entrusted this message of grace to me. They, that you can't take them apart. They're... They're interwoven in the sovereignty and providence of God. And so it's, it's of critical importance that we recognize, that, that Paul recognizes that this is, this, is a, this is in some measure, though it is suffering, it is gift. Now, one of the things that we've been trying to think through as, as leaders here at Christ Community Church is how do we view difficult circumstances that come up? Say, when a, a marriage comes apart at the seams or sin in someone's life gets revealed, do we, do we look at those things and say, that's an inconvenience? Right? We, we've been trying to do good things. We're trying to build a building. We don't have time for this. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this is what could be said. But we don't have time for that stuff, right? We need y'all to behave for at least three years. When we get in the building, go nuts. Who cares? No, that's not what we're saying. I have come to recognize, and, and, and this is a becoming. I, it won't just be. It'll, be. it'll become because it'll get challenged as it has this weekend. Do we see it as essentially the parable of the talents? That God is saying, listen, these things were broken whether you knew it or not. These things were breaking whether you were privy to that information or not. But I'm going to call you into the dark place, into the valley of the shadow, into the aftermath to represent me. And are you willing to be a steward of my grace there where it is needed by far the most? Right? I mean, this is Isaiah 58. If you want to be where God is, go to where the broken are. And so when we get entrusted with these situations, do we, do we pause and say, all right, we are stewards of God's grace. We, we get to pronounce assurance of pardon, not as priests, but as the finished work of Christ. We get to say, though your sins will rise to meet you, and they will. And they will yell, yell their heads off. And, and Satan will say, see, these are your children. You should kill them all. 
And yet Jesus will rise higher than the sins that rose to meet us and say, No, those are your sons and daughters, most precious of all, clothed in my righteousness, though they have clothed themselves with a spider's web, but for a moment. I, for an eternity, have swallowed death with life. And amen. And so we want to be stewards of that. And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, this, this suffering is part of my stewardship, right? And that's hard, to, to, especially in different circumstances, to see purpose. But this is where we, the church, need to be able to talk with each other and, and get help from each other, get wise counsel from each other. Again, I want to make the plea. I, if y'all don't hear nothing else this morning, clue in for just the next 10 seconds, Okay. Do I have everybody's attention? I'm serious. I am much better as a physician instead of a mortician. Let me tell you what that means. Um, and it's not arrogant for me to say that, by the way. It's what I'm called to. And all of us are in this boat that leads you here. Don't call us in for the post-mortem. If that's all you got, that's all you got. But, but call us in long before that, please. If you're struggling, you're hiding in sin, you, 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 you've got some part of the gospel twisted, you are seeking after lovers far less wild than the Lord your God who loves you with a steadfast love and goodness and faithfulness, please, I implore you, call us in. We have no interest in setting up the guillotine, ever. Even in the post-mortem, we don't want to do that. However, we must be just. There is a time for discipline to reach a more critical circumstance. But the goal of all discipline, the goal of all of this is reconciliation. That is why Jesus came, right? And so we would much rather be stewards of God's grace when it is most beneficial to you, his people, instead of having to weigh in on circumstances that are sometimes too far gone. In so many ways. You may say, yeah, God, there's just consequences sometimes in this world that are. They're too far gone. Um, And so that doesn't mean they're not saved eternally, but too far gone to to make right in this world. And will require Jesus coming back and making all things new. And so he says, I'm a steward of these things, and I hope that you know that. And he says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Now, This word mystery, it doesn't mean that it was a riddle, right? That there was this riddle kind of out there, and if the only way you can become a Christian is to figure out the riddle. No, no, no. What it's referring to is it's it's a truth that only God can reveal. You understand? That's that's critical because we're going to hear the word mystery a lot, and we have a lot of, uh, um, uh, we've used the word ourselves in so many ways that that's usually what rushes to the fore for us. But what, what you need to come back to every time you see the word mystery is a truth that only God could reveal. Now, he points back and says, this is something I have, I have referred to previously. And what he's referring to is chapter 2. So I, I want to take just a moment and read chapter 2 for us again. And I want you to pay attention to the mysterious aspects, the parts of it where you go, and that doesn't make any sense. Like, how does, how is that supposed to work? Like, how does the physics and the math work on all that? And how can God accomplish something like that? So, so, so be listening for that. So if you would, give your attention to the reading of chapter 2 um, again. And you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, let me... Let's pause for a second. Is it, is it not a great mystery that God would come for dead folks? Is it not mysterious that the creator of the universe, who could have made a whole new group of people anytime he wanted to, who could have started with a fresh slate, decided instead to preserve, to resurrect what was dead and disobedient and uninterested in him. Is that not a mystery as to why in the world he would pick those kind of people to make his sons and daughters? Let's go on. 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Let me pause here again. This is utterly mysterious to us. Why would God love us? Of all his creation, the most unpredictable, volatile, rebellious aspect of his creation, and he chooses to uniquely place his love and image on that. That is truly mysterious. It's also a mysterious thing that we are called to gather in community and tell each other we love each other. I'm supposed to try to love you, and you're supposed to try to love me. And we're supposed to try to do that with not a whole lot of runway between us. Right? And so sometimes it's an odd thing to us for us to go, why, why do you care what I'm feeling? Why do you care what I'm thinking? Why do you care what I believe? Well, here's my answer. But God. And I know nothing else, and that's as far as it goes, and it's utterly mysterious to me too. I've said to Susan sometimes, hey, you think I could sell doorknobs? I hear there's a great market uh, coming uh, for doorknobs in, in the United States. That's not true. I don't think there is. And I'd be a horrible doorknob salesman, by the way. I can't sell anything. Y'all know that. And so it goes on. So this God who has loved us, even, listen, even when we were dead in trespasses, we showed no affinity. We showed no flicker of emotion toward him. We showed nothing, no interest whatsoever. And yet, he chose to love us. That is a great mystery. And it says that he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's a position of, of, of acknowledgement and power, right? Remember what he said previously, we have the fullness of the heavenly blessings in Christ. Why? I have no earthly idea. Even when we don't access them, they don't atrophy, they don't go away, they don't cease to be ours. And yet, God continues week in and week out, to condescend to his people, to speak to us, even when we sit here thinking, he's getting close to that two and a half hour mark, I think. Even when we're so tired and nonplussed, this is the best nap you're going to get all day, which I, man, it's got to be better than these chairs somewhere for you to sleep. Even when we just check out, tune out, because we've got stuff going on and we are laden with guilt and shame and can't hear a word. He shows up week in and week out and he uses circumstances. I can't tell you how many times. There's never a circumstance I've stepped into where the bomb has gone off in someone's life that as they recount what went down, I can't name at least five places where God gave them the opportunity, according to 1 Corinthians 10, to get out. To, to, to get out of it before it got bad. God is always faithful. That is not a mystery to me. The why is, the fact that he is, is not. And it goes on, and it says that he's raised us up in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why, why, would, why is he to be kind toward us? Based on what? what? Who in here is just like, dude, I'm so consistent. I, he got to be kind. I mean, my, my discipleship game is something else. No, but yet, yet he condescends in kindness every single week. And speaks to us and loves us, his people, and does not give up on us. And is even severe in his mercy when he reveals what is going on in our lives. For by your grace, you, by his grace, you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, 
Think about that. That is so mysterious to us that we can't earn some part of it. Surely, surely we must have to earn some part of this. Surely we affect how much God loves us. That, that, that doesn't make a lick of sense to us. No, but what your works do, because it's going to tell us here in just a minute, they're things that you've been created for. What your works do is help you grow in your understanding of this great mystery. And see, it's interesting. We spend so much of our time focused on, well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't cuss, I don't gamble, I don't dance, I don't, I don't do it with other people that do those things. And I, I, You know, it's what you don't do that we emphasize more than what we do. I'm going to tell you that you've got it wrong. God is far more concerned, and we'll see this in his prayer, that for this reason this whole thing has been started. What God is far more concerned with is how we love one another. He is far more concerned with how, how we display love and his attributes to each other. Remember, Exodus 34, 6-7, he is steadfast in love. You want to take a temperature of your Christian life, ask yourself about your steadfastness in loving like he does. The dead, the uninterested, right? The rebellious. You, you want to know how you're doing? Ask how patient and long-suffering you are with the dead, the rebellious, the uninterested, Right? You want to know how you're doing, ask, ask how your affection is growing for those at the margins. In fact, widows and orphans are often mentioned, right? How do we care for people who are suffering? Maybe we don't understand what they're going through, right? Maybe they've got some gender dysphoria going on. Maybe they've got some other issues going on. Are we willing to be patient and kind and long-suffering and keep the word of God before them? but also abide with and never to, to forsake and cast out just because we don't understand. If I cast out based on what I don't understand, no one will be around me, right, in truth. And so I'll pause there. I, I won't keep going. I think you've got a sense of this is mysterious. And, and, and notice, like, the fact that he would fuse two enemy groups of people together as he talks about in 11 through 22. That he would bring down the dividing wall of hostility when so much of religion, so much of the history of religion in all phases has been, let's build the walls as high as we can to keep others out of this place. Those sinners sure do have some nerve to try to come and see what we have that's good. What a mystery that he would say, no, I tore that down. So y'all could come running. I can't help but think about the picture in 2 Chronicles 30 where Hezekiah reinstitutes the Passover. It's one of the most beautiful pictures of grace in the entire Bible, in my opinion. And he reinstitutes the Passover. He sends out letters to, because the northern kingdom's been exiled and the southern kingdom is a hot mess. And he sends out these letters and people come running to worship. And they come running in and they forget the cleansing laws, and they just start grabbing stuff, and they're just, they're eating the showbread, and it's chaos. And Hezekiah looks on as the priest king, and he's worried that God's going to kill them all. But little did he know that God was uninterested in harming a people who so wanted to be near him. And Hezekiah prayed on their behalf, just to be sure. And what's interesting about this Passover is the party broke out for a week as it was instituted and then went on for two more weeks. Right? Now think about that for a second. We who are so time conscious as a society, so concerned when things will begin and end instead of the substance between those two things. They got so enraptured with the love of God that they, they killed everything. And I know it sounds bad, but it was still the sacrificial system. They ran out of stuff. Like if you didn't get ribs on the early, you just didn't get ribs. I'm sorry. But it's a beautiful picture. You ought to go read it. Second Chronicles 30. I think I've got that right. Um, I don't know many quotations from Chronicles, but that's one. And so... so is that our heart? Do we, do we, are we so caught up in the mystery 
Are we so moved by the goodness of God that we recognize that the way he works is so different than the way we work and think? Listen to what Timothy Gombas says about this portion of the text. He says, Paul's strategy is to situate his present circumstances squarely within the biblical tradition of God's power being demonstrated in human weakness. We need to let that sink in for a second. All of your strengths and gifts, they're good, and God gave them to you. But probably he will display his great goodness in and through your weakness. In fact, Paul says this at the end of 2 Corinthians, does he not? He says, he says listen, when I am weak, Christ is made strong. Now, let me tell you, I wish that weren't true. I really do. I don't like being weak. I've cried here this morning. That makes me irritable in some ways. Uh, y'all look at it and go Old Testament in the preaching real fast. But, but it's in that weakness, though, that I could feel Christ moving, that I, I, I recognize that it's him who must work, and there's nothing I can do to save these people. There is nothing I can do in wisdom to change anything in my own strength, and if I do, it won't help them, not for long. And so you too must recognize that the weakness that you have, we've got some type A personalities in here, right? A, a small handful. Uh, and, and, you know, you, 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 there is no challenge that you think you cannot overcome. Oh, but there are many. And it would be good for you in humility to admit your limitations and recognize that sometimes you being broken down is Christ exalted. And I'm numbered among you in wishing it may be a different way. But it is the way that God chooses to work through our weakness. And listen to what else he says. He does this by emphasizing the paradox of his life and ministry. At the same time that he occupies this terribly shameful and utterly weak situation as a prisoner. Let me pause. So it's more than likely that other people would have used this circumstance to say, see, Paul shouldn't be listened to. He's no authority. What God sends one of his own people to jail? Wouldn't his situation be better if he were out? Wouldn't he be a better tool for the sake of the kingdom if he wasn't in prison? But Paul, he doesn't allow that to be true. He goes on, he says, he fulfills a cosmically crucial commission as the administrator of the grace of God. In so doing, Paul wonderfully performs the same paradox as God's victory in Christ. Jesus Christ conquered the powers and authorities through his shameful and humiliating death on a Roman cross. Because of God's upside-down logic, performance of God's triumph will inevitably involve displays of God's power through human weakness, loss, shame, and humiliation. So what most affects how and when you share the gospel of Christ with others? Do you, and I've said this often, I'm going to say it again, you don't need to add anything to your life. You don't. You got plenty. But how are you leveraging, considering, thinking through what you already have and how it might be used to display the glory of God in the unique circumstances where you find yourself? I can't help but think of, of Nick Weaver again in this case. They have found themselves in the, some places they never intended, rubbing shoulders with uh, people in, in the hospital in Delaware that was not scheduled, that wasn't part of the vacation plans. In fact, there was a Parisian nurse that flew with them from Paris to Delaware. I don't know what kind of insurance they got. It sounds amazing. But this guy was amazing, and they, they got an opportunity to, to witness to him They've been, in so many respects, as a family, as they have grieved and struggled, probably more in their grief and in their struggle, have witnessed to the staff there in Delaware than if they were wandering around claiming to be blessed beyond measure. Wasn't part of the plan, but they found themselves in that place. And so how can we become a people attuned to the sovereign and circumstantial working of God in real-time history and recognize God's work and how we might join him in any and every circumstance. Instead of thinking, you know, if I, if I were just, because some of you, I've heard some of you say this, and I've even thought this. If I were just working around a really great group of people 
that all love Jesus and we could have Bible studies and then we as a group of people could shine our light and all this kind of stuff. Well, where's that, by the way? It's heaven. I mean, go to, come to our staff meeting and you'll see. It ain't even there. Not because of Bonnie or Robbie or Josh or Matt or Josh. Let's say it again. But me, biggest sinner at the table, the one most in need of God's grace. What a mystery. <laughs> he picked me. They picked me. What, what in the world are we doing? We're doing what God has called us to do. We're displaying his glory in our weakness. And amen. So don't let your circumstances dictate. Paul did not. Now, if you would turn back to the text, and let's finish up with verses four through six. It says, when you read this, meaning a reference to chapter two, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed in his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the purpose of Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so here what Paul is doing is he's pointing back to the fact that this is a historic reality. It wasn't revealed in full, so you have to go back in time. When, when, go back to the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis chapter 12, right? And, and in the Abrahamic covenant, think about this. He picks a guy from Ur who was a pagan worshiper, okay? And he asks him to forsake everything, and this is, this is kingdom building? And he gives him this promise that he will, all the nations will be blessed. He's going to be the father of all this stuff. And dude falls asleep because he can't take it in the middle of the covenant ceremony in chapter 15, right? And God passes through the fire saying he will bear the curse himself. Utterly mysterious. Like people who try to preach that, it's just tough. And not only does he try to build a kingdom with a pagan from another land who can't even stay awake for one worship service, Oh, by the way, he can't, even, he can't even keep it together for the decade or so that he's supposed to be patient and wait. And he and his wife have a covenant child through Hagar and then kick him out to die. Do you have any idea of the significance of that? If he was, in fact, the covenant child, they were essentially accursing the Lord their God. And God shows up in 17 and says... Probably the, maybe, maybe this is the most gracious passage in the Old Testament. Abram, I am your shield and defender. Walk before me and be blameless. What did he just do? He forgave him and changed he and Sarai's name. Forgave them both, by the way, and said the covenant would continue. Help me, if, all that's, if that's all we had, is it not mysterious that we've made it this far? And if you keep reading, oh, by the way, you're going to find yourself in the book of Numbers someday if you mess around with these Bible reading plans. And Numbers, if you don't read it with a sense of great mystery, you're not going to understand it. And if you don't get as frustrated and want to kill them all yourself, you didn't read the right book. I'm serious. And, and, and then, you hit, then you hit this whole Judges. I've heard some of you like, oh, we're going to do a Bible study in Judges. I was like, sadomasochism or something. It's God's word. You should do it. Don't get me wrong but may not be the place to start day one. But judges, how do we survive that? How does God keep covenant through that? Oh, by the way, king, get a king. We, we who in the leadership cultivation course, we've been doing biblical theology, so we've been walking through all these things. A king was God's idea, but they wanted a king according to the nations who would look like those people in Psalm 2 who rage all the time and hate him, his law, and, his, and anything about him. How do we, how'd that work? And oh, by the way, the guy he picked, maybe the worst sinner in the entire Bible, right? Has a guy killed so he can cover up his sin, loses that child, refuses to, 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 to do what he's supposed to when his daughter is, is violated by one of his other sons, refuses to obey God in different places, rending the kingdom in two. And then it's like, well, let me build you a building. Too much blood on your hands, Doc. Ain't no building to build. 
not your hands. So, so wait a minute. That, that's your kingdom building strategy. God. Is it not a mystery? So, so this passage ought to help us to read the Old Testament with new eyes, to recognize how truly mysterious the moving sovereignty and circumstance of God. The book of Esther, God's not even mentioned, and yet he is all throughout it. The book of Ruth. The book of Joel, which we'll get to after Ephesians. That'll be a real laugh riot. Uh, any of the Obadiah. Jonah sounds great until you read Nahum. Right? This is God's kingdom-building strategy. What a mystery that there are Gentiles for Paul to go to prison for. What a mystery that we are here at all today, given all of the mistakes we make. What a mystery that he would choose to contain such glory in earthen vessels. And so... What Paul is essentially saying is this whole story is crazy. And the way in which he chooses to go from that covenant, Abraham, ultimately he chooses to die. He sends his son to die, which is an utter mystery, that that's the way by which two people would be fused together to become one people to display the glory of God in this world. With all that power, all that glory, and instead he chooses to die. If you don't if you don't look at that and go, that is, that is utter mystery. It's kind of like my son. We were playing Bible apples to apples one time, which I think is actually a sin somehow. And, and so a friend of mine had the, the, the card, if you know anything about apples to apples, he flipped over, uh, and he was the one judging our responses, and his was, it was mystery, right? So my friend, Christy Freeman, ha she knows she's won the hand. Like, nobody can trump her. She's got Trinity, right? Is there no greater mystery? Well, I think I won with some garbage shoes of peace, right? And Deb was like, oh, that's a mystery. I don't know what the shoes of peace are. And Chrissy's like, Trinity? He goes, that's easy, three and one. Okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> but I think we're like him. Christ died for us, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did, cool. Rose again. Right? Sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession. Why wouldn't he? <laughs> what else is he going to do? He's coming again to make all things new. <laughs> Sounds great to me. I, you know, we don't respect Entman's cakes like we used to. So yeah, we need something new around here. Why are we not more moved by this truly mind-boggling, paradoxical mystery and Paul is trying to help us to not lose that. Why do we think that we can understand this scripture without the power of the Holy Spirit? Why do we, why do we rush to other places and say, I, I don't want to hear what you think. I, I want to know what Richard Dawkins thinks. Not, and I'm not against reading Richard Dawkins or Hitchens or Storms or any of these other folks as a former radical anti-theist. I get it. But, but why would we think their limited view is somehow greater than that of God? Because we're rebellious and we're just trying to, we're trying to rip ourselves out of his hand. We're not really seeking truth. We're seeking autonomy. That's different. And it is a fool's mission. And so what Paul wants us to see is that this, this mystery, it is for our good and it is for our redemption. And that none of this would make sense to us without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why I wanted to make so clear in the sermon series that we did from John on the Holy Spirit that you had a firm foundation that the Holy Spirit, before he does anything else that would impress you or have you impressed someone else, he makes sure that you know that Christ is king and savior and servant of all. Because if you don't have that, whatever you may do in the name of the Holy Spirit is off and even demons can heal and prophesy and do all these other things, we ought tremble. And so it's important that we be moved in awe and that we would recognize what a great gift this is to us, though we can't make it all work. The math can't work. We don't understand election hardly at all. We don't understand 
how he does what he does. But what we ought to know is that he is far more gracious and merciful than any of us are because if you think that it depends on you for people to be saved and you're not sharing it with people, then you're the most wicked of all double predestinarian. You are declaring you all that you, those you don't share with, you can just soon go to hell for all I care. And so praise God that it does not depend on us and that we are invited into a work that's already begun and ongoing and we have all the means, heavenly blessings, to participate and reveal and grant opportunity to those around us. What a weight lifted off of us. Listen to what John Stott says about this. He says, we may say that the mystery of Christ is the complete union of Jews and Gentiles with each other through the union of both with Christ. It is this double union with Christ and with each other, which is the substance of the mystery. So it's important that we recognize it's not just being in union with Christ. It's the fact that we are called together in family. Some of you are here because you don't, you don't know where else to go. You're not, really, you're not really committed to this thing, but you know, it's, it's, it's just what's here. I get it, right? But while you're here, get something out of it. Some of you are here and you're committed, but you're tired. And you, you, you've been carrying it for so long. And you just wonder, you've heard about this building thing and you go, we've been talking about this so long. Man, when, when shovel hits dirt, I'll get a little more excited. And, and some of you, you are, are, are here uh, because uh, uh, somebody drug you here and, and has made you come, and, and I'm sorry for that, but I'm glad you're here. And uh, I, hope, I hope that you, you too can get something out of it because, again, us, this is mysterious, this gathering of interesting people who have all sorts of interesting views on all sorts of interesting things and trying to make it all fit together and hold it together Oh, by the way, just in case you didn't know, we have an election coming in 2020. That'll be a real hoot and a holler. Um, we survived the last one because of the book of Daniel. I don't know that I can put y'all through Daniel again. Uh, we may just have to go full-blown revelation at that point. Uh, and so we'll just see. But, uh, but that'll test us. That'll strain us because we all have opinions. We all think we know how the world ought to work best. And I'm numbered among you. Uh, but we don't. Such a mystery. If you do any reading of history, it's an utter mystery. I don't even know why we're still here. Uh, but I do know why. Because there's a job left to do, which is display the glory of God so the family gets bigger. Let's get to work. So when was the last time that you experienced awe at the mystery of redemption in Christ? You're not, listen, let's be clear here. It ain't going to be every time. I don't feel it every time. And by the way, your feelings are a terrible judge of all, right? Um, the other day in our, our office, I, I saw a shadow out of the corner of my eye, right? And I thought, man, is that, a, is that a ghost? Is that a phantasm? Is it all true? Are there ghosts? No, it was a rat or a mouse uh, that Robbie did this amazing hockey trick and flipped it out the front door and with a broom, and, and it was really amazing. But... <coughs> My feelings were something weird, something wicked this way had come. But upon further investigation and application of the scientific method, it turned out to be nothing more than a field mouse. But still a wicked one. Don't you worry. It was possessed, I feel. Uh, and so, so our, it, we're not going to feel it every time, and our feelings aren't always the most trustworthy thing of all. Uh, but, but there ought to be some experience of awe. And when we're, we don't have it, we ought to be worried by that. We ought, we ought to seek it. We ought to push toward it, seek counsel, seek, um, seek wisdom. And are you making the most of the opportunity to witness again the mystery of redemption in Christ each week in corporate worship? Are you? And that's, that's for you to answer, and I'm not here to judge that. But so often, there's so many distractions, so many ways in which we don't think about how we're affecting the people behind us or how we're affecting when we don't sing, those who may be visiting. There's all kind of ways in which we're affecting things through um, whether or not we come prepared to entrust that God can do what he said he would do, which is be present with his people. I get it. It's hot. I'm super hot-natured. It sounds like the air is running, but I think it's a joke, a cruel joke. Uh, and I get it. 
Uh, there's so many things that can be distracting to us, but are we coming, first and foremost, just expectant that God would be good and that this is a mystery and it's worthy of our attention? So Ephesians 3, 1 through 6 teaches us two things, at least, that God sovereignly places us in the various circumstances to grant us unique opportunities to share the gospel. You are where you are because God puts you there. And you can fight with him about that if you like, or get to work and maybe get done whatever needs to get done and you get to move on to something else. Who knows? Maybe something worse. But either way, he's still sovereign and good. And there's something in it for all. And then secondly, we are, we are to be in awe of the mystery of redemption in Christ. What a gift that he would show us a fuller revelation. We, unlike the, those in the Old Testament, get to see the fullness of Christ. And yet it's still not the fullest picture yet to be seen by all. We'll get to see it all together in the end. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, <clears throat> thank you that you ordain our circumstances even though we don't understand them. And even though we would question, well, why didn't that other person have to go through this? They seem better equipped. Why am I having to deal with this? Well, that's a good question, but it's not the best question. The better question is, Lord, how might I serve you in the midst of these circumstances based on how long you've ordained it to be? It'd be better for us to seek instead to have awe at the mystery of how you work in such a paradoxical fashion, so antithetical to the way we think. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. I don't know why we forget that. I don't know why we keep thinking, but maybe you'll catch up to us someday as if you were the one lagging behind. God, help us catch up. And what we know, what is clear, help us to do that. What is mystery, help us to leave it mystery. And as you reveal it, receive it. God, I pray that you would, in great grace and mercy, fill our hearts with your love, the riches of your goodness, because we have gathered here this day. In Christ's name, amen.